Welcome to episode 49, the one-year anniversary show of the Midwest Angler Podcast. As always, Scott Sturman and Matt Deitch. And Matt's coming through with the sound effects. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Uh, One year, we made it. Round of applause. (laughs) The the, the crowd can't believe that we made it a year. I can't believe that we made it a year. (laughs) But we did. Yeah, that that is too good. Too good. No, uh, thank you all uh, to everybody who is uh, tuning in today, uh, and especially the ones that have been with us all 49 episodes. Uh, yeah, yeah per- always providing us the feedback and right. just giving us uh, the criticism that we need and helping us along the way the whole time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, uh, we've got a really cool episode every every single week i say man we've got a really cool episode because we do i truly believe that that the people that we've had on are all you know pioneers and and whatever but we've got the man i we're going into ice fishing and we've got the man today that's right if you've ever ice fished before ever thought about ice fishing even if you don't ice fish you've no fishing you probably know this guy right he he is the absolute pioneer Mr. Ice Fishing, the godfather of ice fishing, Dave Gens. We've got him on the show today, and I can't wait. No, neither can I. Let's go. Hey, Dave, are you there? You bet. How's it going today? Well, it's going good. Just got back from the north country, getting some ice fishing in. How was it? Well, we had a good day yesterday. You know, we were fishing panfish in uh, actually deeper water, 29 to 30 feet of water. Oh, and wow. Biggest crappie was 14 and a half inches. You know, the biggest bluegill was 10. But, of course, there's plenty of smaller fish. Oh, yeah. How, how's the ice looking up that way? Uh, we had about five to six inches where we were. And I was up on Thursday north of Grand Rapids. We had six and a half inches on that lake. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Dave, to start us off, uh, where did you grow up and how did you get into fishing? Well, I grew up here in St. Cloud, Minnesota, where I live now on on the Sock River, and uh, I'm the I'm the baby of the family. My brothers and sisters are, you know, ten to twelve years older than me. Uh, so when uh, I grew up, my dad didn't work in the in the wintertime. He was a road construction worker, and so and he had quit deer hunting. So that meant we started ice fishing early, and it must have rubbed off. Did you and, do a lot of open water fishing then, or or mainly ice fishing? Well, my open water fish, I said, had a river in my backyard. So I grew up playing down by the river every day. But my dad was gone through the summer. So he wasn't, you know, I was, I, you know my grandpa would live next door. He'd take me fishing once in a while. But, you know, a lot more of my time was spent ice fishing than it was summer fishing. Right on. Now, you're credited with coming up with the portable fish house. Uh, how did that come about? Well, the uh, the flip over fish houses, you know, that is what I... You know, we started. My dad and my uncle again. They didn't work in the winter time. They they'd go up to Malax Lake every day. You know what I mean by every day? They'd leave noon one day and they'd come home noon the next. <laughs> <laughs> How could mom be mad? I'm I'm home every day. Right? That's right. I'm I'm gonna start using that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, this was back in the fifties. I'm talking about here, and they had a 1952 Buick. Roadmaster, and they had this big straight aid engine, and they had a tiny little trunk in the back. So they had to build a couple of fish houses that fit in the trunk. 
And my uncle was who actually built a little fish house that flipped over like the, the current flip-over models do. You know, he bent them around a 55-gallon drum, and, you know, the sled was a lot smaller because you could only fish with one line then with a bobber on it. You know, so how much room do you need in there? Right. You know, it was just a matter of keeping out of the weather and, and, and watching your bobber and stay warm. You know, and I said they'd go up every day, they'd leave at noon, they'd get up to Malax Lake. You know, it's a couple-hour drive, so, you know, 2 or 3 o'clock, they'd be out on their spot, and they'd actually they would go by our big house first and, and light the stove and warm it up in there, and then they'd go fish wherever the best rumor was where the resort owner would plow a new road, and they'd fish there till, you know, a little after dark, and then they'd go back to the big house that was usually set on a on some rocks somewhere, and they would fish through the night, you know, have something to eat, fish through the night, get up in the morning, go back to where they fished the evening before, and then at 10 o'clock, they would pack up and go home. Now, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, they were really dedicated to fishing. Yeah. I'd say so. Now, did was there a lot of people that would, like, see them out there with their flip-over shack and be like, what are these yeah, crazy yeah. guys doing? Well, no, there were quite a few people around, but, you know, even them, mobility wasn't part of what they were doing. Right. It was, uh, you know, they would go out and, and, and dig a hole. Well, they were chopping holes through the edge of the chisel. Yeah. So <laughs> it wasn't that easy to be mobile. Yeah. <clears throat> That's why you went back the next morning to the same spot. Because, you know, they took the time to, to flare the hole out on the bottom and get it bigger on the bottom than on the top and because you were going to, you know, fish in that hole for days. And, you know, so that's how it, they, they, they did, they did it back then. Right. <clears throat> now, how did that form into clam? Uh, how did, how did the original well, fish house that you had form into clam? Well, then I was uh, watching a television show with my wife one day, uh, fishing shows, of course, with Al Linder, and a, a Gadabout Gaddis was the guy's name. He was a guide from the East Coast, and an elderly elderly guy, and Al asked him when he, when he, when he was going to retire, and he looked at Al, and he said, Al, I'm not doing anything I care to retire from, <laughs> and I looked at my wife, and I said, I'm going to make my living in the fishing industry, and I started doing, uh, so start with what was in-home fishing uh, seminars, Kind of like the ladies do their Tupperware parties. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we did a fishing, you know, you would have this at your house and you'd bring your friends in. And uh, then I'd come and I had a slide presentation I did. And it was Skyline uh, graphite rods. Them were the first graphite rods. And Zebco Cardinal throw reels. Uh, spinner baits were new then. We'd talk about helicoptering a spinner rate down a weed line. Uh Lindy rigs, uh, we would we show them how to tie their own Lindy rigs, and you know we, I did that for a few years, and it really helped getting my, you know, be able to speak in front of a crowd, and you know, getting that seminar done, yeah. and and that like a lot of underfunded companies, you know, you know, gave up, you know, so, you know, I tried selling some tackle for somebody else, and and then finally I I realized that was ice fishing that. You know, I know more about being from the North Country and having a dad like that. And, and uh, well, I convinced my wife that she's going to sell these fish houses. That was probably the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the first first year she sold five. And, you know, we weren't real smart at this. We weren't in the in that business. 
and she sold the entire conduit in. So you, <laughs> you know, just a tremendous amount of sewing. Yeah. And first year she sold five, the next year she sold 20, and the third year she sold 80, and then she wasn't sewing no more. <laughs> and But I was able to go out and get a canvas shop to build them then, and, <clears throat> and we kept... You know, we kept growing, at a, you know, a very slow pace, and <clears throat> eventually, I I had, had had to, you know, borrow some money to uh, add on to my house and and my garage to get more space, and I, you know, did that. You know, it was eighteen percent interest back in them days. So, oh wow, <laughs> and, you know, a fifteen thousand dollar loan you paid interest for. For five years, and then you still owed fifteen thousand. But <laughs> luck, luckily, the the uh, business checking account had enough money to pay the bill, <clears throat> and so you know I had to grow some more. And and uh, Denny Clark actually started Clam, and that was a the first plastic-based fish house that you set up and pulled the canvas over the top, you know. And I was selling a fish trap, and <clears throat> ice fishing shows started and. Denny and I became friends, and and then USL, US Lawn was, was called. They uh, were just sewing lawn bags for Sears and Marino. This is before anything was going to China. They were sewing lawn bags in a sewing plant that they had in South Dakota, <clears throat> and had nothing going on in the winter. And Denny had nothing going on in the summer, so that's how they got together. And then they, then I licensed USL to manufacture and market my products. And it was, things were going along well, and, and then the owner of USL passed away. Dave Bennett was his name. So his wife was selling off the, these little things, and, and Dave Osborne, the current owner of Clam, purchased the fish house division out of, out of, the, out of USL. And because him and Denny Clark were friends, from, they rented a cabin together on, on a lake in the summertime. They didn't run them together. They, they were next. They were next door neighbors, so you, they sat by the same fire. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and you know, I kind of went along with that, and and now we've got a again somebody that's interested in growing the sport, and you know, Clam has done a tremendous job of growing the growing the sport. Absolutely. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, are there any of the original shacks still around? The ones that my wife sold. There's there's one sitting at Clam. Oh really? And and there's another one at the uh, Minnesota uh, Hall of Fame. So there's two of the originals left, which is pretty amazing. Right, right. Now, when you first came up with or started to do this and sold those, your wife sold those first five. Did you ever imagine that it would grow to what it is today? Well, <clears throat> you know, I, I I certainly imagined it was going to grow, but no, not to. You know, it, it's the whole industry that is growing. I, right. I, seen myself selling more fish houses but you know when i started i had you know there was no but using sonar yet <clears throat> you know i started using my green box and i would stick it in my hole in the in my in a bigger fish house that i had then and you know watch it if a fish came through i could figure out uh you know how far down it was and then i guess with arm links to check the depth <clears throat> or to get to the depth and then uh the rep of the of my fish house, my rep also rep Texelar, or it was Cytex at the time, you know. So that's how I got my first FL8, 
<clears throat> and just by chance one time, I hung the transducer in the hole, and there was my jig. Went down. I could see my jig, and I could see this fish. And I knew that was a major breakthrough in ice fishing when you, we could do that now. Oh, yeah. And so then I had to build the, the first uh, wooden box that we built to uh, to house your, your portable unit in, or a unit that wasn't portable. <clears throat> and had a little ball and socket. You could move it around until you seen your hook. You know, then we figured out that it had to be level. Then we added a leveling bubble to the top of the transducer. You know, another kind of a kind of a breakthrough. And all you got to do is level a bubble. Now, when you drop it down, you can see your hook. Then Texler came out with the ice deucer. That, you know, we should probably go backtrack a little bit. You know, it was Cytex, it was then it was a Micronar, then it was Hondex, and then uh, uh, Honda Electronics decided to pull out of the United States because they were they were doing well. But the ice fishing market was was going, and and Vexler was able to secure the rights to market the Honda Electronics in the United States. And you know, I guess the rest you can say the rest is history. They sell a lot of them. Now, when you first when you first figured out, like, holy smokes, I can see my jig on that. How hesitant were you to show the whole world, or or was that never even a question? You were going to go and show everybody. Yeah, I was going to go show everybody. One of them, you know, look at this. I mean, that's how I sold my fish houses to it. Right, right. You know, I walked around out on, on where people were fishing, pulling my little one-man fish house behind me, and I would set my my Vexler in the hole, and uh, or my Cytex at that time, and show them that there's, oh, there's your hook down there, and you've got a sinker up out in your line. You know, then I would say, look, there's a fish over here, and I'd, you know, pull the line up and put on fresh year larva, but colored maggots on their hook that I was you know, early with them too. And then they'd catch that fish and then I would move on to the next guy. That, that's all. <laughs> I'll be like, whoa, 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 where are you going? Come back here. Uh, let me see that for a little bit longer. <laughs> you know, and there were, there were people in them days that were heading right to the store, you know, yeah. to, to get them. And another nice thing about that is that at that part, our, our bait and tackle stores were selling crappie minnows, you know, a few waxworms and a and a jiggle stick. You know, it wasn't much money in 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 ice fishing. You know, but then after you know, I came along and now we got a fish house and we're going to sell you a sonar and we're going to sell you clothing. And the, at the beginning, it was the it was the bait and tackle stores that started that. The uh, mass merchants were you know were, were reluctant to get involved, so it, it gave them a, something in the wintertime, and I'm I'm sure it helped a lot of them you know make some money in the winter and stay in business yeah for sure now what was it like the first time that you actually saw a fish come up to your jig you know you you could see your jig uh, the first time you actually saw a fish come up did you know instantly like holy smokes that's what that is oh yeah i because i watched it <clears throat> i just didn't have my jig but i could see that i could see the fish come in you know and i and i would see it rushing and i know it was coming towards my jig then even though i couldn't see it Mm-hmm. You know, and then you'd get ready and feel the bite, set the hook. And then once we got it so we could see it, it just it just made it easier and quicker to get it to the fish. Right, right. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked to you at the Ice Institute, you told us about uh, creating the first modern ice fishing rod by going to Thorn Brothers and, and taking some of their uh, broken rods that they had laying around. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how you came up with that idea and, and uh, what all went into that. Well, it was actually, the first was the uh, 
the Bass Pro Shop in in uh, Minneapolis or Blaine is where is where it was. No, it's not. It wasn't a Bass Pro Shop like the ones that are out there now. It's just a store that had the name, and you could get your mail order stuff through them. And the owner of that store, I can I can walk it, and it was you know blocks from my house, so I was in and out of there a lot. And he was sitting on the floor with this big pile of broken rods, and he was cutting the guides off of them. And he was just going to sell the guides in his in his store. So you know he probably got them for nothing or very little if he's just going to sell the guides off these broken rods. So I'm sitting there looking at this pile of rods, and I pick one of the rods up and I kind of bend it. And I went, oh, I bet I could make a nice ice rod out of this. So I, I think I had to pay him five dollars for the blank now. So this worthless rod was suddenly worth five dollars. <laughs> you know, so I took it home and I I, I worked at a, at American Linen. Uh, you know, and we we washed a lot of uh, tablecloths and from restaurants, and in them tablecloths, wine corks would come in that, that they pulled out of the the bottles. And I was a maintenance engineer, so I had access to the maintenance shop and the tools. So I I chucked them up in the lathe, and I drilled a hole through them, and I, I took these wine corks then and slid them on this rod and glued them together with some 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 glue and and. And boy, this thing weighed nothing. Nobody ever felt a rod that weighed so little. You know, a couple of wine corks and a graphite blank. And but I, you know, wasn't that good at it. It was pretty crude. So that's when I went to Thorn Brothers, which was my reps. It was a little uh, deck above above uh, the Minkota uh, dealership or repair center with a little deck up there, and that's where Thorn Brothers was building graphite. Uh, fly rods and musky rods was their their two specialties, you know, custom made. And I, they they made some ice rods for me then, and I took them to the the ski show it was called then, but the St. Paul Ice Show is what happened at since then. And you know, handed these to people, and they never sold anything so light before. And and you know, well, I changed the price on them every few minutes or every half an hour to see what people are willing to pay for one. And they dropped them like a hot potato at twenty dollars, but at at fifteen dollars, they'd say, "Wow, these are pretty nice." And when Thorn Brothers realized they could get fifteen dollars for their broken rod blanks and a few pieces of cork, they started building rods, and you know they still build rods to this day. But but it's progressed amazing how far ice rods have came. Now at that point in time, like what was your average open water price? Uh, uh, uh open water rod price. Well, you see, that's when graphites first came about. The Skyline graphites was about the same time. Remember, I talked about them earlier. Yep. So that kind of rods were, uh, you know, forty dollars, forty to sixty dollars was a was a quality graphite summer rod then. Okay. You know, so you know, twenty dollars for a a winter rod sounded like a lot of money when they were ninety nine cents, but they were graphite. Right. Now, how how were how you attaching your reels to the rods then? Oh, back in them days with electrical tape, almost the same way I do it now. Yeah. You know, that's still one of the best ways to do it is get rid of all the all the uh, rod holding devices on there and and uh, you know just hold right under the cork. Right. But they are making better and better uh, reel seats now. That they're that's come a long ways too. Right. Now that was there spinning rods then, or was that all like the Zebco uh, 
No, this... there were spinning rods that we started with there. Okay. You know, was the uh, was the Zebco uh, underslung the, the thirty three? I think it was called or one forty four. Excuse me. This, okay. That was that little under underslung reel with a trigger on it. Yep. And that was the first reel I bought and mounted on there, thinking I had to have this tiny little reel because I wanted to keep it keep it light. You know, and I've I've definitely learned as time goes on that I want a little bigger spinning reel with a larger arbor spool on it makes the the reel just function better with a with a little larger spool on it. You can you can set the drag better. Yep. And now, now Dave, you're known as, you know, an ice fisherman. Everybody knows you as an ice fisherman, but you also do quite a bit of open water fishing, correct? Well, probably more than ice fishing if you really Think about it. The other things I have to do in the in the winter times, like drive to South Dakota or Iowa or wherever it may be, <laughs> I don't have to do that in the summer. So I yeah, I spend a lot of time in the summer on the water. Now, where do you mainly fish up there? Well, I guess I'll give you my how, how I how I operate. You know, I ice fish until there isn't ice anymore in northern Minnesota, <laughs> so that gets me to the middle of April. All right, and so now I. I I fish lakes. You know, the Minnesota walleye opener is the second weekend in 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 May, so I haven't got a lot of time for honeydews from the last ice till <laughs> opener. <laughs> so I do the best I can on that, and then I uh, I fish lakes from uh, opener until the Fourth of July. Uh, you know, the weed lines are getting developed. Lakes are just a lot, lot of fish caught in lakes in May and June, and then uh, when the Fourth of July comes. All the people come to the lake. All the people have summer homes and stuff. They, the, the lakes fill up with uh, recreational things. And I leave the the lake then and, and start fishing the Mississippi River, which is my house is on the river. And I fish the river until, well, I usually put the boat away. And, you know, the, a couple of days later, I head up ice fishing. So I put the boat away and all. <laughs> Now, now, Craig Oiler told me that I had to ask you about the holy boat. Tell us about the holy boat. Well, the, I I took a 18 foot John boat, uh, a G3, and I cut two seven inch holes in the floor, and then you got to put a stand pipe there so that the water doesn't run into the boat. You know, it only will come up as high as it is on the on the outside. And I I got my vexilar mounted right there, and and so I can sit on my boat seat and fish through the hole in the floor like I'm ice fishing. In fact, a few years ago, before the St. Paul Ice Show, there wasn't any ice. So I, I took my, my, my John boat there, and I set my fish house up on the deck and flipped it over the, over the hole. You know, So they had me catching a fish out through the hole with snowflakes coming down, and then when you panned over, the water was open. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah. Now, what do you prefer? You know, you said you do more open water fishing. Do you still prefer ice more? Uh, you know, I really enjoyed what I just did the last couple of days is get out there on this early ice and, and catch these big panfish. You know, they're they're down there. They're they're up off the bottom. And, you know, I caught, caught them in deeper water, you know, so your sonar really works well when you're, you're fishing something that's three feet off the bottom and 30 feet of water. It's not too hard to figure out what the fish is. And, and, you know, catching these, you know, like a lot of these spots, you got to, you got to be there first because it doesn't take long if people come and they, they, 
the fish go home in buckets. You're right. You know, and we let them all go, all, you know, all the, the big ones anyway. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm confident that when you let them go, you go back there the next day, you can catch that same fish over again. Right. Even might even catch them in the next hour. And so you catch a lot of big ones, but then as soon as the, the crowd show up, you know, well, pretty soon, geez, they're just not biting anymore. Well, that's because they're gone. <laughs> right. What is it like when you go out fishing? Uh, do a lot of if people see you out there? Do they follow you around, or do they kind of give you your distance? Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of the spots I'm fishing are not overpopulated okay. because I I know where these spots are. But no, you know, I'm probably more aggressive out there than the people coming to me. I go to them and and talk about fishing, and if I can help them catch a fish, I will. You know, I I just enjoy. Uh, you know, people and being out there on the ice and enjoying the day, it's, you know, trying to make things fun. Right. Because yeah, at the end, that's what it's all about, is just being out there and having fun. Yeah, you know, I just, I enjoy being out in the cold and <laughs> not being cold. You know, there's there's no such thing as cold, cold, cold. it's just in a, inadequate clothing. That's right. <laughs> you know, the, the clothing that's available to us now, the, you know, the, the clam suits, the the rise suit, especially that I'm wearing now, that's that's you know waterproof, floats you if you fell through the ice, and amazingly warm and comfortable. And I've been you know wore it all day yesterday, and I was just as comfy out on the ice. You know the the, the trickiest thing to, to keep cold, we're getting cold is your hands. I don't want to really fish with gloves on if I can help it. And you know I could set my fish out and turn the heater on, but I enjoy being outside in the weather. Yeah, you know, I'm a little bit the same way. Scott over here, he he's pretty quick to flip that house over and turn on his heater a lot of the that's time. Cause, that's because yeah. I'm catching fish, and I don't want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the one of the pluses of the fish trap is that you you do get that people aren't following you around because they don't know you're catching anything. That's right. Now, Dave, you mentioned the rise suit. Uh, if if you were to be honest with us right now, how many times have you fell through the ice? Zero. Really? Wow. I've, I've not ever fallen through the ice. That's awesome. You know, I might have, you know, getting off the ice late in the spring and, you know, broke through right next to shore as you're trying right. to get off. But, Dropped a boot in. Yeah. Yeah, but I've never uh, been wet. Cool. Yeah. Well, let's keep it that way. I don't plan on it. Yeah. <laughs> now, Dave, before we let you go, we're just going to kind of rapid fire a couple questions at you. Um, first off, uh, do you have any bucket list fish that you have left to catch? Bucket list fish that I want to catch, you know, through the ice. Yeah, anything. Uh, you know, I've never caught a big sturgeon yet, so I, I think I'm going to have to put that on my list to go pursue uh, soon. You know, and I, I guess one other bucket list, I, I need to go up to Lake Superior, which is close to home for me, and catch a walleye. You know, it's kind of funny that the closest lake to me is the only one, I only great lake I haven't caught walleyes in. Oh, wow. You know, because when I went to up to Lake Superior, it was always to go trout fishing. And, you know, now suddenly I got to go catch a walleye. So maybe I'll get that done this year, too. Perfect. Now, Scott and I, when we're out on ice, like you said, it's all about having fun and enjoying time with friends and everything like that. And we like to eat out on the ice a lot of the times. What what would be your favorite food that you'd have along when you're out there fishing? Uh, you know, some... Uh, some kind of beef sticks. That's always something good to have in your in your pocket when you're when you're out there. Oh, for sure. You know, 
get you know have some water along the, the tricky things in the winter time is to keep things from freezing yeah. you know something that some inventor out there has to come up with you've got to come up with a warmer not a cooler <laughs> and you know i definitely think there's a, a market for that to keep your bait from freezing and your your sandwiches and your you know whatever you have along but but that's what i find works well for me is some some beef sticks maybe some cheese something i can keep on a on the inside pocket and keep it from freezing right now dave you have a lot of people that look up to you in the fishing industry who are some of the guys or or ladies who you look up to well you know i've you know always had uh, you know allender has obviously always been someone that made it in the fishing industry and him and him and his brother ron which you know i, I know them guys quite well you know they drew me my blueprint and what i needed to do to make this ice fishing thing happen i just had to follow it you know and that's kind of what i did is traveled the, the country because that's what they did is they uh they traveled the and you know talked to writers and sports people across the country and, and caught fish and they all wrote about them and and you know that's exactly the same thing i did i ice fished from maine to montana and and you know seen and talked to a lot of people doing that so he's pretty high on my list right yeah, we did a contest earlier this year. We did the Mount Rushmore of ice or of fishing, and you and Al were both on there. So, all right, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, besides fishing, you know, we talk about fishing on here and everything like that. Do you have any other hobbies that you enjoy to do? You know, play play cards. You know, I was uh, you know playing cribbage with my wife when uh, you called, and I've got a. My neighbors are over right now, and I'm going to cook up some bluegills that I caught yesterday, and we're going to play some more cribbage. So, well, who's winning? Games in general, but cards are my are my most. I'd like to do the most. Who was winning? You or your wife? That was a game of peace. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't want to hold you from uh, the bluegill supper and and playing cards, so we'll we'll give you one more question, uh, Dave. If you could look back on your your storied career. What is the one accomplishment that you think stands out? Well, that I that I changed the way people ice fish. You know, the, the history of the sport has had nothing to do with mobility. You know, it was you know, and that's what I I got people to, out of their shacks and and uh, moving around and uh, taking looking at ice fishing more like it was summer fishing. And you know, and I love to see people buzzing around on the ice. You know, moving around from spot to spot because. I know I started all that. Yeah, that is very cool. Well, Dave, we really appreciate it. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor to sit here and talk to you. Uh, this is our one-year anniversary show, and if you would have told me a year ago that we'd be sitting here talking to you, I, w- I wouldn't have believed it. So it, it's definitely an honor. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, you know, Matt and Scott, you do a good job and ask some good questions, and it was fun talking with you. Perfect. Thank you. Well, hopefully we can get you on again sometime. Thanks a lot, Dave. All right. Goodbye. See ya. There he goes, the godfather of ice fishing, Dave Gens. Wow. Dave Gens. That's awesome. I. It's just so cool that he takes time out of his day to Absolutely. sit down and chat with us. We really appreciate that. And we got to give a big thanks to Craig Euler. Craig yep. Euler uh, kind of set that one up for us, and, and Craig Euler's been absolutely top-notch uh, since the beginning of this podcast. Uh, you know, I like like I said, uh, a year ago, I would have never possibly imagined that we would have been able to talk with all the people that we have, and, and especially Dave Gens. 
you know, this, this podcast started off just me and Matt, just two guys that were like, Hey, we talk about fishing all the time. Let's record it and see if anyone actually wants to listen to us. Right. And, uh, you know, every single week we kick out an episode and every single week we keep trending a little bit higher. I, you know, I, I can't even, I truly want to thank every single person that has ever logged on and listened to one of our episodes. We're, we're nothing special guys. We're just two regular dudes sitting in my basement next to my laptop and some Amazon equipment and talking fishing talking fishing and I, when, you, you you sit there and say you're nothing special sometimes you know i think i am well you are I my mean, mom always told me i was special yeah i believe that <laughs> <laughs> you were right brenda <laughs> no i i did just truly like guys yeah. i can't even begin to thank all you guys enough i mean it just it is absolutely crazy the doors that this has opened up you know last week i was sitting there t- texting with two people that have fished the Bassmaster Classic, Greg Vance and Troy Dede, both past uh, guests on here. And, you know, I, I kind of stopped and I thought, holy moly, like, you know, I'm, right. I'm really texting these people. You know, I'm, I'm texting professional fishermen, you know, and, and not just those two, other people, you know. We've, we've sent out a lot of messages and, and we've been turned down a couple times for interviews and, you know, people just don't message us back, whatever. But, God, I, I just can't even believe all the people that we've had on this show in, in a short amount of time. And, and, you know, the fact that it just keeps growing. Yeah, it is. And we thank all of you guys for that and really look forward to seeing what's in the future, really. Right. You remember when we first started this whole entire deal? I, I think me and you, we originally started and it was going to be outdoor chat with Scott and Matt. That's right. And, and uh, I said to Matt, I'm like, you know, I mean, granted, Matt Matt and his dog Finley do a lot of upland hunting. But, uh, you know, and, and we both, you know, do some deer hunting. We do some goose hunting. But I was like, you know, let's let's just kind of key this in on fishing. And, and so we changed it to the Midwest Angler podcast. And, and I truly believe that that was one of our better decisions to to do Uh, not not that the hunting wouldn't have been a whole lot of fun because there are some awesome people in the hunting industry too but yeah i I don't know it it all started and i think we both thought man if we could get 25 listens an episode that was wouldn't that be crazy when we hit like 100 we were just like whoa yeah and and you know like i said that's that's quadrupled and then some you know i mean it it we're we just keep on trending higher uh especially want to give a shout out to uh jim gerard who uh gave us four free cold snap redline series rods to give away here uh that was absolutely amazing that was was very nice of him huge for our podcast huge for our facebook page uh you know we've just i I don't know somehow we must have weaseled into the best group in all of fishing and we've just got a lot of killer cool dudes that have gone to bat for us and and well they always say you know surround yourself with good people and that's what we try to do is surround ourselves with good people right i thought you were going to say that's what they're trying to do well a little (laughs) bit of that too they know they know a quality product when they hear one oh man Uh, they don't see us anymore but they still hear us so i think that's helped us too a lot is that we've went away from videotaping. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, they, they sound bad and they're ugly. <laughs> now we no. just sound bad. We could be the best looking guys around. Yeah, well, I don't think we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, neither do I. But hey, again, my mom says that I am. Right. So. <laughs> no, uh, 
yep, again, I'll say thank you. Uh, I could say thank you half a million times and uh, whatever probably wouldn't be enough. But uh, thank you guys all for tuning in. Yeah, um, here. We'll see what next week brings. I don't know who we got coming down the pipe. Uh, honestly, we've, we've been setting up this Dave Gens deal for like 10 days. And uh, I don't know. That's all I could really think about, to tell you the truth. Right. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been texting each other back and forth a lot. And, you know, the, the cool thing about Dave is that uh, he's generational, you know. Oh, absolutely. The older guys know who he is. The middle-aged guys know who he is. The guys our age know who he is. The younger generation knows who he is. I mean, right? like you said, he's the godfather of ice fishing, and to have him on our one-year anniversary, uh, that's pretty awesome. Right. I got his cell phone number in my phone. Right. He might like, change it now, though. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> No, no. Well, like I said, we appreciated everybody. With that, we are going to end episode 49, end the one-year anniversary show, and we will see you guys. God dang it. Unbelievable. Matt found out that he can put his cell phone up next to the microphone. So, all right, guys. This, this Every single episode just goes yep. off the rails at the end. You better get ready. You better catch me. Yeah. We're out of here. See ya. See ya.